Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of their people, their people will take care of customers, lower costs, and drive customer loyalty and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy. And culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado, where we teach extraordinary leaders how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. This is Rick Barrera, and I'm back today with Eric Frohart, Navy SEAL. I believe that in the last couple of years, I've learned more about heart-led leadership and we before me from Eric. I always ask our faculty what seem to be mundane questions about the nuances of leadership. And every time I do that with Eric, he blows my mind with the intricate answers that he provides. His level of thinking about leadership and the extraordinary preparation and excruciating attention to detail it takes to drive a world-class high-performance team is simply astounding. I'm always surprised and transformed by his answers, and I hope you will be too. So now let's dig in with Eric. So Eric, what's the biggest contrast you see between being on the teams and being in corporate life? Well, there's a a lot of ways. There is a big difference between just being in the military uh, and being in corporate life or the private sector, and specifically difference uh, from being you know, in the teams, on the teams, and being, you know, in my private sector corporate life job. Uh, I have, I think the biggest one was just that adjustment to the fact that I'm no longer on an elite SEAL team. When you're on an elite SEAL team, first of all, you have this, I would say this group, you know, it's an all-volunteer military, and, you know, from that, a group is volunteering to endure very tough training to go and do a very hard job that they're underpaid for. So you have this team of people that have gone through all that together and are there for something more than money. And, you know, they're there for each other. They're there for the fight and they're, everybody is very A-type, very driven but also everyone is there for each other. And it's the military. We before me. It's we before me. And uh, it's in some ways, uh, you know, leading at that level is easy because, hey, we're in the military. We've got a job to do. We can't complain. In other ways, leading at that level is challenging because, you know, a big part of leadership to me has always been leading by example. And uh, if you're going to lead by example in the SEAL teams, you better be a good example and you're surrounded by, you know, a type driven people (laughs) that all, that all want to be the best example possible. So, you know, that made it challenging, but it also made leading at that level pretty easy. Like you have to, I guess, mostly at that level, you're kind of holding the reins. You're kind of like steering, you're, you're steering an energy that is self-sustained Right. And yep. uh, in my current life, you know, and I've had a lot of awesome jobs from, you know, working at the gun range to working at Strong First and now at the NRA. 
Uh, I've, I've had some amazing jobs and I've worked with some amazing people and some of these people uh, along the way, I've learned a lot, you know, from not only from the job, but from some of the people I've worked with. So I don't want this next comment to be taken incorrectly, but you know, they're not in corporate life. Typically they're not all going to have gone through that level of selection to get there. And they're not all going to be as motivated to be there. Right. So the, so the, the commitment level is significantly different. Yeah. It's just a different level of commitment. And, you know, you can't have that expectation that, you know, if you, if you work at a big company or you run a large team, you're going to have people at all levels that either work with you or for you. And you cannot, you cannot hold, you know, someone who's starting out, um, you know, their first job behind the counter or whatever they're doing. They're just not going to be quite as committed or motivated as some SEAL who's gone, you know, through a very lengthy process to be on an elite SEAL team. They're just not. So um, that, for me, was something I learned early on that, hey, you have to, you know, you have to more, like leadership, I think, on the outside for me has been more about inspiring, encouraging, and motivating uh, versus, like, compelling people to do something. Because, that's just the way it is. That's the role of leadership. Absolutely. So you have one simple line that I kind of believe defines heart-led leadership that I think you got in the military. You want to, you want to share that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I did not get this in the military, but I kind of adopted it from like what I saw from the military through that experience and then through the experience I've had leading outside of the military and I've had, you know, I've been very blessed to have some awesome opportunities to lead outside of the military. And uh, for me, it's that individuals matter, the teams matter more, and leadership ties it all together. And what, what I mean when I say that is, you know, individuals matter means that you cannot, you cannot have a good team without good pieces. You have to have good pieces. Right. So you have to go, you have to go find those good pieces and you have to be intentional about getting good pieces and keeping them on your team. First of all, secondly, and this is, it sounds very cliche, but I've seen this play out in the military on the battlefield. And now in my quote unquote corporate setting, the team is bigger than the sum of its parts, right? A good team will often, as they say in sport, a good team will often beat a group of good individuals, right? Uh, you could have a group of all-stars that just don't gel or don't play together well, and they'll lose to a team that has trust and chemistry and all those things. One example I like to give to people is that outsiders or those who were not in the SEAL, they refer to the SEAL community as the SEALs or the Navy SEALs. Those of us who were in that community, we call it the teams because the team came first, right? That, as you have said, you know, the we before me, it's so important. And both of these things, individuals and teams, they don't, maybe once in a while they happen by accident, 
right? You know, you catch lightning in the bottle or whatever, but really to make it repeatedly happen, you have to have leadership. And like all of this, it's a very intentional process. In most cases, this will not happen by accident and leaders need to make it happen. They need to make sure they're, you know, they're gathering and keeping good individuals. They're developing those individuals, right? And uh, they're putting them in place on teams and people know their place on teams and the team is, you know, functioning correctly. And the leader of it all is developing leadership at the individual level along the way. So that, you know, should something happen to him or her, you know, other people can step up and lead. And to me, it's all, you know, it's all about leadership but uh, you have to have individuals, you have to have teams. So you have the leader that's kind of, or leaders that are tying this all together. And, and really they're, you know, they are demonstrating, you know, not only are they leading, but they are, you know, they are demonstrating leadership for others below them and being that, you know, being that example. Excellent. So when you told me about your practice regimen with your SEAL teams, it it kind of blew my mind, too. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that? How many hours a day? How many days a week? How many, you know, because in, in corporate, nobody wants to practice anything ever, right? We just want to go out and, you know, let's just practice on the customer and we'll see how it goes. And <laughs> You know, when I when I work with salespeople or customer service people, and I say, let's role play. And, oh, no, I don't want to role play. No, let's not do that. We'll just, you know, we'll just go get on the phones. We'll talk to the customer. You know, it's that kind yeah. of thing. Okay, got it. So, first of all, regardless of what you do or how you make a living, having a practice to be better at it is crucial. For us in the military, uh, we would, depending on you know, just kind of a basic typical day back at base, you know, you'd come in, you would work out. Uh, it was important to, you know, have a fitness practice and to be in shape. The job was physically demanding and you could be called on to do something that is very physically challenging. So working out or training was important. Um, we would also have regularly uh, an Intel briefing. So we kind of knew, we knew more about the battlefield and we knew more about the en enemy and it wasn't a, you know, it's, it's similar to working out or other practices. Um, the regular, you know, the regular briefing like would educate you over time. If you had a 12 hour Intel brief, you might not retain a lot of it, but if you get regular short ones, it was like practice. Right. Sure. It's the mental practice. I say it now with firearms training. Frequency trumps duration. So it is better to do something in small doses regularly, doing it right, of course, than it is to go once in a while and do it for a day. Right. So we had a workout. We had our intel brief. Then we probably have some, some gear prep and some gear maintenance. There were days then that we would have to work on individual skills. Uh, an example might be parachuting skills, marksmanship skills, how to use the radio, how to navigate, uh, first aid, all those individual skills that every every operator on the team needed to know. And then we very regularly had 
team level training, right? That was where we would practice, you know, doing these missions, clearing buildings, you know, chasing bad guys, whatever. I won't be too specific, but we would do it as a team, right? So we had these, these periods where we could focus on our individual skills. And then we had these other periods where we all got back together and integrated those individual skills into a team. And, you know, we did it so very often that I could tell who someone was by looking at them in my night vision. And I could tell what their state of mind was by their posture or even their gait. We practiced together so often that, you know, we, we could communicate through body language and, uh, you know, it's, you know, another thing I miss about the teams was having that opportunity. Yeah. That's a lot of practice. If you can read somebody's body language and know what mood they're in, that to me, I mean, and, and in corporate, I mean, it just, it's always blows my mind that we, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll do an hour of training or we'll, you know, we'll do a day of training, a quarter or whatever. Right. And then we wonder, you know, geez, why don't we have elite high performance teams in corporate? And, you know, we, we don't, we don't screen the same as the SEALs screen. We don't train the way the SEALs train. We don't plan the way the SEALs plan. You know, and then we wonder why we don't get those kind of results. So anyway, that's what I, that's what I wanted you to talk about. No, I think, yeah, I think back to practice. It's not just practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. Yeah. So it is, you know, doing, you know, we'll use firearms training or like a physical skill like golf it's better to have 10 good reps a day than let's say one, once a quarter you go and do, you know, a couple hundred reps and the last 50 are sloppy because with a physical skill, it's very hard to undo the neural patterning of a skill executed incorrectly. So if you are tired and you're doing it incorrectly, now, that's not to say you should, you should certainly practice being able to execute when tired. But if you're simply building skill, uh, you want to do that when you're fresh and you want to keep the reps low. And with firearms training is one, you know, it's one thing in particular where I've always said frequency trumps duration. And I think, you know, it's not something I've thought about often. In fact, our conversation now is just making me wonder, like, what can me and my team practice now? It's obviously we have to practice shooting, but it's also important for us, you know, to practice instructing people how to shoot, right? And things like that. So I think it's an awesome aspect that gets uh, probably overlooked and the more people in corporate could do. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, uh, you know, amazing to me, you know, how, how the, you know, the difference. And, I mean, you look at any sports team, right? They're doing the same thing. I got to go... I don't want to give away any inside secrets, but I, you know, I, I got to go look at a NASCAR team and how that was winning and how well they were doing. And one of the things that blew my mind was there, there was a schedule for the drivers for the year on the wall <laughs> and, and it included diet and exercise and sleep. And I said, you, you tell them when to get up and what to eat and when to work out. And they said, absolutely. And I'm like, well, 
<laughs> what if they don't want to do that? They said, well, then they, they just don't work here. You know, it was just kind of, right. it, was, it was amazing to me. I was like, oh, now I know why they're winning, seek, right? Seek, seek employment elsewhere. Yeah. So I just find that amazing when you see it. And there's a book, by the way, that you queued up for me, uh, which is called Peak. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, everybody, everybody's heard about the, you know, the 10,000 hours, you know, from Malcolm Gladwell. But the the, right. the the author of Peak actually was the author of that original research, and now he's got the updated research. And it's a really extraordinary book on learning if you want to learn how to learn um, in the most effective way. And you were just talking about a lot of those core principles. If you got to practice it right and you got to, you know, fewer, fewer right is better than more not right and all that. Right. So very cool stuff. So uh, how did all that practice translate to the battlefield when you actually got out there? It made executing on the battlefield much easier because we had all been there in training. So when something happened, we were able to execute. And in many times without even thinking about it, because it's already been practiced or trained uh, into us. We had an expression that was, uh, you know, it's important to train how you fight. So we didn't want our practice to produce any, you know, what we would call them now training scars, right? It had to be, had to be safe, but it also had to be, have some element of danger and it had to be, you know, realistic practice, right? So we practiced how we'd have to fight so that when we did fight, you know, it was a little bit easier. The enemy gets a vote, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes all the training in the world, you know, you're still going to have a failure, right? Like even an untrained enemy can get lucky, right? Uh, even and we say it now when we're teaching, you know, we're teaching people, you know, mindset or the proper attitude to have when you're carrying concealed. Uh, you can do everything right and still lose, right? So that all said, uh, the more you practice, the more you prepare, uh, the better chance you have of succeeding. Right. So that leads me right into the planning topic. I'm having a really hard time right now with my clients trying to get them to slow en- slow down enough to plan. Uh, share with us your, your planning mantra. Well, I have a couple of planning mantras. And um, I think for me, the big thing is that there are times where the planning process is crucial yet the end product or the plan itself is worthless so there are many times where the plan you know having the plan and having it on paper are very important and in fact i plan my day right i plan my day the night before um yep. i wrote i wrote a plan tonight before our phone call uh, so that tomorrow i can hit the ground running i plan my week the Friday before so that on Monday I can hopefully hit the ground running. I don't want to spend Monday morning when I have that, you know, that fresh energy. Um, I want to spend that doing stuff versus planning on the stuff I'm going to do. Uh, now that said, I don't always get to dictate everything I'm going to do, right? I try to be as strategic as possible and follow that plan. Um, I, I try to act and not react. But there are times where you have to react, right? For war, 
the planning process and the, the act of thinking things through, through the end with all the contingencies along the way is vital. Uh, but in dynamic environments, we have to be ready to change those plans. And we have to change them for good reasons. We can't just say, oh, we're going to change the plan because, because of X. Like There's an old expression of knowing the rules and knowing when to break them. I believe the same is true for planning. You got to know the plan and know when to deviate. And uh, on the battlefield, no, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And I mentioned before, the enemy gets a vote, right? Yep. So it's yep. important. It's important to have that kind of, you know, you know, your true north. You know, your plan. We're heading to this direction. We think we're going to get there by doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, but, oh, we didn't anticipate this. So we might have to come up with something new. But the fact that we've gone through this planning process together uh, is, is what makes us able to react to it. So you got to have a plan. you got to know when to deviate or if you're going to deviate. And hopefully you've gone through that deviation before in advance. And um, I think the one thing the SEAL teams were known for not spending much time on the plan uh, but still executing. And that's, that's just because of the amount of time we get to spend together and fall back on previously established SOPs. So other units might be planning, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this in the building. Well, we don't plan that because we've already established that through the, you know, the 10,000 hours of training together or whatever. Um, so I think if you don't have that, if you aren't doing that, like you do have to plan. To me, it kind of comes down to another point I like to make is that uh, people are more important than strategy. And if you have if you have the best strategy or the best plan, and you don't have the right people, you might actually not get anywhere. Whereas if you have a great team and a direction, but no real <laughs> plan to get there, like. You might be really successful, and I've seen that happen time and time again. Like I, I had a, I had the opportunity to work for some awesome leaders, and then I've had opportunity to work for some leaders who were not quite as good. And um, you know, there were circumstances where, you know, we, you know, the leader might not have had a great plan, but we had a lot of good people around him, and like we figured out a way to get there, and you know, that leader like got a lot of credit for that. Uh, but they had a good team around them, right? Uh, or I've seen other circumstances where, you know, the leader spent so much time planning, but the team was divided and we didn't, you know, we didn't get there together. So I think plans are important. And I think, I think people are more important. There you go. So how have you been able to take what you learned as a SEAL and translate that into the corporate world? I would say, first of all, not everything translates. When I moved to Colorado, no one in the corporate sector was hiring snipers. So, <laughs> uh, but there are, there are certain, you know, I guess the buzzword now is meta skills or whatever, high level skills. I, you know, we used to say uh, there are certain high level skills that do translate and, um, you know, being able to lead yet being able to follow and, being able to be on a team and knowing your role on that team and, and how to get more from that team, whether you're leading or whether you're second in charge or whatever, and just being, 
you know, being, being a good teammate, right? Leadership gets a lot of credit, and I, rightfully so. Um, but I think, you know, we have a lot of people out there that are trying to become, you know, good leaders, but they don't know how to be a teammate, right? They're talking about this and that, that they're in charge of, but they won't, you know, they don't know how to, they don't know how to be a member of a functioning team, right? And you have to, you know, you have to, you know, know your role in that team and be a part of that team sometimes. Like you don't just, when you get a new job, you don't just, you know, usually become the CEO or whatever. Like you're, you're usually beholden to someone, right? Uh, so I think that's been you know, one of the things I learned in the teams uh, in the military that has translated really well to the corporate world. And that's like whatever I'm called to do, whether it's leading or taking out the trash, I know how to be in that role for that, for that duty. Leadership, being a good teammate, effective communication, and really just the ability to deal with stressful situations um, has been very helpful. So that, you know, now in my, whether it was in my last job or at this current job, when there are stressful situations, like I probably dealt with worse. So right. now I can. Yeah, nobody's going to die. I, yeah, you know, I mean, no, no one should die. So I can handle it and, uh, and whatever. So those have translated as well. You know, leadership, being a teammate, um, being a good communicator and handling stress. Great. Who were your mentors and what lessons did you take from them? As far as my mentors and um, what I've learned from them, I've had some amazing I had some amazing leaders in the SEAL teams and uh, I won't mention a lot of names or any names here. uh, But I would say one of the things I remember most, this guy was one of the, you know, one of the best leaders I had and probably one of the biggest badasses I've known, meaning just, you know, very, very knowledgeable, very capable warrior, you know, very well-rounded, you know, not just a, you know, good at, shooting, moving and communicating, but good at martial arts and just good at everything. And just someone that everybody looked up to. And he said something to me that I've like taken with me. And I, you know, I will always remember. And he always had this, um, was an expression. He said, never believe your own hype, which I kind of <laughs> interpret as, uh, you know, here's this guy who's one of the, you know, biggest badass seals I've ever met. And he's telling me not to believe my hype he doesn't believe his hype. And I just kind of took that as, you know what, you got to stay humble. You got to train, 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 and uh, you can do everything right and still lose. Right. So, um, you know, that just that humility, I guess, in, in a word is what I learned from him. Um, and then I've had some great business mentors uh, along the way. You know, I, when I got out of the military, you know, I really tried, tried to, uh, kind of educate myself, you know, reading different business books and not just, you know, not just reading them, but like really reflecting on my experiences and how to apply those lessons. And uh, I've had a lot of good, you know, professional mentoring um, through, you know, investors, through mentors, through different like professional groups. And, you know, one that's really helped me out a lot is my, my father-in-law, who was a very successful, um, he was a very successful CEO of, of a big, you know, publicly traded company. They had something like 40,000 employees and 
you know, all of that. And I've learned a lot from him about, I would say, kind of ownership or being responsible. And uh, specifically, you know, my parents taught me a lot about responsibility. So uh, it's not about just being responsible, but it's a, it was more about like the idea of, you know, when you're in charge, you know, whether you're the CEO or, you know, director or whatever you're doing, um, you know, ultimately whatever happens is your fault. Right. And, uh, the fact that, you know, that is, that's hard at first because you could have someone who works for you that doesn't do something and, you know, it really, you're like, well, it's their fault. Why didn't they do that? And the way he explained it to me and which I have gone on to kind of use is if they didn't do it right, I either didn't show them how to do it correctly or I didn't motivate them correctly or I gave the task to the wrong person. It's that simple. So at the end of the day, I give someone a simple task and it either doesn't get done or doesn't get done correctly. Like most people would blame that person. And, you know, in most cases, like that was very easy to do, but now I'm like, Nope, I either didn't show them how to do it correctly. They didn't know what my expectation was or I did. And I didn't motivate them correctly or they're just not a motivated individual and they shouldn't be on my team. People before strategy, uh, or you know, lastly, I just chose the wrong person to do it, or that person needs to be off off my team. So if you, you know, as as hard as it, as it is to stomach these things, which it's hard when you're a perfectionist, because you know I do things and I try to do them right and I try to get them done on a timely manner. But uh, if I blame myself, there's actually there's actually more power in this because it means I can do something to change it. So next time I can say, you know what, this is how you do it. This is how I expect it done. If it doesn't get done in this manner, then, you know, we're going to talk about it. Right. So to me, that was one of the, I mean, I've learned several things from him, but that was, you know, that was one of the things uh, that, and uh, the different leadership style you have to have, you know, not being in the military and being in the private sector or the corporate world. Right. Like we have to use now I have to use more of a, you know, I either have to, you know, inspire, encourage, or motivate someone to do something if they don't want to do it, or I have to go find new people. Now, you know, that's not always easy, right? Sometimes you have, you have the team you have, right? And you have to get the most you can out of them. Um, and it's, you know, as much as we'd love to be able to go find a team of a players, sometimes you're not going to have that. And that's not always realistic. So a good leader will find ways, uh, I believe to motivate folks, um, to get things done. So, uh, and then lastly, and, you know, most importantly, you know, I learned a lot from my parents. Uh, I spoke about it in, you know, the previous, the previous podcast, but, all the things, all the values I learned from them, you know, those life values, they transcend, you know, everything. They don't just apply at home, but they apply at work as well, right? That responsibility, respect, work ethic, and, and faith, right? And I learned that from, from my parents and uh, 
try, you know, not, I don't always succeed, but try to, you know, try to live that in my work life. Excellent. So uh, I want to change it up a little bit here. So uh, among other things for the Heart of Leaders program, you, you teach room clearing. We we get airsoft rifles and and we and we do room, room clearing as part of the Heart of Leaders program. So yep. what do you what do you think our explorers really learn from proper room clearing? Yeah, uh, it you know most people are like, what am I going to learn from room clearance <laughs> uh, or or CQB, which means close quarters battle. That's going to yep. apply to my to my sales job. And I would say, you know, it's for most people, it's not a skill you specifically need. Right? I'll start with that. Um, but it is a chance for people to learn a new skill and practice the skill of learning and rapidly putting it into application into what I would call a very dynamic and stressful environment. It makes them, you know, get outside of their comfort zone. Uh, You know, there are certain, there are certain specifics that translate, but more importantly, the more often you do something that is outside of your comfort zone, the better you get at doing stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. Your your comfort zone grows. Entirely. And then what they, you know, so they're going to get, when we do it, like we give them some individual skills, you know, how to, you know, what to do outside of the door, how to go through the door and how to, how to engage things in the room. And then they are taught how to do that as a group of two, maybe as a group of four. And then they're taught like, okay, we're going to do some mission planning. Uh, we're going to plan a mission and we're going to execute like a, a miniature mission. We're going to go in and, you know, kill a bad guy or rescue a hostage. And of course, along the way, you know, they have spent time on a plan and I throw a few variables at them so that they're, you know, as I said earlier, they have this plan, but their plan goes, you know, the plan does not survive first contact with the enemy and they have to think, you know, they have to think on their feet and make things up and be, you know, make a call, right? When, when you're the leader and everyone's looking at you and you have to make a decision, they, they got to make a decision or other people are going to start dying, um, you know fake dying in that situation. Uh, and all of that, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just an awesome way of putting people in that kind of, uh, experience that they would not get elsewhere. And, you know, it makes, you know, it, it gives them an idea like, Hey, when I'm talking about, when I'm talking about like the training I went through and, and the planning and the prep and, you know, it gives them a chance to really like kind of live that experience a little bit. Right. Without, you know, without real bullets, like flying right. by their head. Yeah. And the team building aspect is, is pretty extraordinary. I mean, they get, they get pretty attached to their teams and how well their team performs as a team. And they get a chance to really, you know, see what that's like. And team building and practice, like you're going to practice being the leader of the team and you're going to practice being a good team member, yeah. which I talked about earlier. Right. We have, I, I believe leadership is so crucial. It, it is. Uh, and, but no one wants to be a good teammate, right? right? No one wants like, and that's one thing that we're lacking in the corporate world. Uh, so they get a chance like, okay, you're in charge of this mission, go. And then on the next mission, like, all right, you're not in charge. You have to be a good teammate now. And, uh, you know, as a leader, you know, it's a chance for them to experience that. And then they can also then 
you know, I've found it helps you identify people on your team who are good teammates. Right. What a perfect place to end. All right. Thank you, Eric. It's been great having you. This is Rick Barrera, and I'd like to invite you to join our Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado. There are four sessions per year, one per quarter, and each session is three days long. Our sessions are part classroom and part experiential, meaning we give you an opportunity to practice what you're learning in an active environment. You'll be interacting with fellow explorers in an immersive experience designed to get you moving and apply what you've learned. It's educational, it's engaging, and it's fun. I guarantee you'll find that the faculty and your fellow explorers are among the coolest and nicest people you'll ever meet. You'll make lifelong friends and build a world-class network to help you with whatever's next. You can learn more at heartofleaderspodcast.com. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com, where we blog, post articles, and book reviews, and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.